The 2019 Washington Redskins are a big steaming bowl of booty juice. This is Brent for Burgundy Blog and Burgundy Blogcast. We just wrapped up week three of the NFL season with the Redskins losing at home on Monday Night Football to the Bears by 16 points, but it felt like 60 because they were down 28 nothing, and nothing after that really much mattered. The Redskins fall to 0-3, they are a laughingstock yet again, and the season is effectively over. Coming into this game, the Redskins were, of course, 0-2. They had really gotten basically lit up by both the Eagles, especially in the second half of that game, and then pretty much from start to finish by the Cowboys. Case Keenum had been kind of holding it together to that point. He had thrown, I think, five touchdowns, had not turned it over, although he had thrown some passes that had deserved to have been picked off, of course. The offense through those two games had been acquitting itself. The defense, of course, had been, for the most part, wholly unprofessional. Yet coming into this game three, at home on Monday night, in a situation which most of us know is essentially prohibitive for Redskins' success. Somehow, on Twitter and on the blogs and the interwebs and on podcasts, I was actually hearing a lot about how the Redskins' defense was going to get right in this game because Mitch Trubisky is so bad. And hearing from more than a few people who I actually think are quite intelligent, that even sitting there at 0-2, the Redskins had a realistic path to 3-3. and And no, I did not come out on Twitter and explicitly shout these ideas down, partly because I admit to living in fear of old takes exposed. But every time I heard that throughout this past week, I thought to myself, what on earth have any of you seen so far this year? Actually seen, not imagined or projected or predicted, but what on earth have any of you, you fans, you beat writers, you journalists and talking heads, what have any of us seen to make us think that that could actually happen, that the Redskins could capitalize on the Bears not having a lot of offensive momentum, that the Redskins could prey on the floundering Giants, that the Redskins would eventually walk over the tanking Dolphins. What had we seen, aside from like a couple of good pass plays in the first half of the first game, to make us think that that was going to happen? None of us should have been thinking that. The Bears, I think, in this game were only five or six point favorites. I'm not a better, and I realize that now, as I record this podcast, with the third game being in the books, I'm relying on hindsight. But that line was a joke, and I know that Trubisky sucks. The Redskins are just a bad team. They are indeed badly coached, but they are also assembled uh, right now with vastly overrated players on average, at least when it comes to their reputations inside the DMV. The Redskins are a losing organization. They were pathetic through the second half of last year. Injuries were a common excuse then, but that has continued continued in what is clearly an institutional failure, albeit a mysterious one. Their offseason from a personnel standpoint was weak. Their failure to upgrade the coaching staff was almost unthinkable. I'll grant you that they did seem to have had a pretty good draft, but they continued to look bad in the preseason, and they were just horrendous in the first two games overall. It was just not smart to predict that they were going to bounce back tonight. There's nothing to bounce back to. They're bad. These Redskins do not, quote-unquote, get right against struggling opposing units. The struggling opponents get right against them. One of Jay Gruden's limited number of redeeming qualities as a head coach 
in the past, in his five seasons with the Redskins prior to this one, is that even when his teams have been underachieving overall, they've often managed to summon some extra level of energy and enthusiasm and play reasonably well for him when the team's backs were completely against the wall. Well, tonight, in this nationally televised effort, again, at home, to avoid falling into that 0-3 hole from which only about 2.5% of NFL teams over the last four decades have emerged to eventually make the playoffs. In this game, as important as any other they will play for the remainder of the season, they came out and seeded four straight touchdowns to the other team to start the game. Case Keenum and his five turnovers was by far the biggest offender, but the team collectively came out flat as a board and just got blown out of the water. I don't think these players hate him. I don't even think they dislike him. I think most of them enjoy playing for him and generally wish him success. But they're not playing for him anymore. He's lost them. And now at 0-3, all four wheels are about to fall off the axles. And he is not going to be able to reel this team back in. One of the other weird things I heard a lot this week in the media and on socials was this concept that, hey, uh, when the schedule came out, almost everybody chalked up those first two games as losses. So why, with the Redskins actually sitting there at 0-2, were fans, quote-unquote, panicking? This, this made, like, no sense to me at all. Of course, people like me were not surprised that they fell to 0-2. But, of course, people like me were incensed and outraged that they, indeed, actually did fall to 0-2. They started with two division games, and they got killed in both of them. You shouldn't, as a fan, hold back your disappointment and your criticism, your deserved criticism of the team, just because you accurately predicted that they were going to suck. When it actually happens, when the sucking actually occurs, that's when you blame the team for the suckitude. Were we supposed to have been happy or excited or enthusiastic somehow to have predicted that they would start 0-2? Of course, we all expected that to happen. But the fact that they played right into our very low expectations, yet again, is infuriating. So yeah, count me as one of those people who did expect them to be 0-2, but was righteously pissed when it actually happened. And now here we are sitting at 0-3. They've been completely outclassed in all three games they've played so far this year. I knew they were going to be bad. I predicted roughly five wins for the season. But right now, yeah, they're looking a lot worse than that even. Yet, Yet again, a lot of the people a little bit too close to the scene, a little bit too close to the action, a little bit too stuck inside the Redskins bubble. I'm squaring up the local media right now. A lot of these people tried to convince us that, hey, look at the roster. Where exactly, in, in which position group are they worse than last year? Look, they're adding talent. They've upgraded. They had seven wins last year and a million injuries. Why shouldn't they be at least as good or better than last year? Everyone in the national media, on, on the other hand, and, and most fans across the country, outside of our little bubble here, knew exactly what the Redskins were. And they were all right. Most people picked them to be last or second to last in the division. In fact, it was almost a foregone conclusion. For all the people who have been watching the Redskins be bad for so long, in so many different ways, and who don't care about the sweet little summer fluff stories about which Redskins are giving to well-intentioned charities, which Redskins are giving pleasant interviews about wanting it more this year, about being hungrier this year. The people who weren't so close to the situation that they fell in love with individuals all knew exactly what to expect yet again. Overall failure because the fish rots from the head. The culture and the philosophy instilled by Dan Snyder and Bruce Allen in this organization is a losing one. It's toxic. It's fear-based. It's reactionary. It's primitive. And it's futile. It doesn't matter how many good drafts they have. There's a pervasive feeling from the top down all the way onto the field with the Redskins of futility. 
of hopelessness and then of blame shifting and then complacency. And even Dwayne Haskins, if he pans out, isn't going to be able to overcome that. I don't think even Sean McVay would have been able to overcome that. The Redskins are not just in last place. They are doomed to irrelevance until Dan Snyder either sells the team or replaces Bruce Allen somehow by some miracle with somebody competent, either a head coach with big power or a GM who actually gets it, and then Dan Snyder just completely gets out of the way. It would be a major departure from everything he's done in these decades as his owner so far. But short of that, this team has no chance. They're just going to keep piling up people on IR and keep piling up losses and keep getting totally publicly humiliated on Sunday and Monday Night Football. I guess I should run through at least a few particulars from the game. Obviously, the main story was Keenum and his five turnovers. Even a good team has very little chance of overcoming something like that, and a bad team like the Redskins has literally none. Even though the Redskins came in 0-2, he had obviously become way overrated locally because of his touchdown-to-interception ratio, which was misleading because he had thrown at least two, probably three passes in the previous two games that deserve to have been uh, intercepted, obviously. Case Keenum just is who he is. He's a fringe NFL starter at best, really more of a, of a, a probably a fairly desirable backup, and that's why teams keep moving on from him. After this game, I don't think any of us is going to have trouble remembering that going forward. Early in the game, uh, Montez Sweat had a really nice sack around the edge, um, coming from the defense's right. He used his speed. He got to the quarterback very quickly. It was a big loss, and that was just a really nice, legit sack. First big play, I think, of his uh, young career, and that was encouraging to see him do really what he was drafted to do, finally. Shortly after that, haha, Clinton Dix, of course, had the pick six that started off the scoring and pretty much immediately took the Redskins out of it. It is unbelievable that, that, that it was haha that, that did that crime. Then again, unbelievably believable, I guess. That was just a terrible pass by Keenum. An easy interception, but a really nice return by Haha. And that's what the Bears' defense does. They're really good. They create pressure and take advantage of it. It's no surprise that Haha Clinton Dix looks a lot better this year than he did last year because he's got better talent around him and better coaches above him. Later, there was a play where the Redskins actually left Khalil Mack totally unblocked off the edge. I think maybe it was Sprinkle's fault, but regardless, on some level, it was definitely Minuski's fault. Khalil Mack might be the best defensive football player on planet Earth. Some teams use three players to block him at a time. The Redskins were really thinking outside the box by trying zero. After that, it was nice to see Matt Ioannidis finally get a sack, um, almost forcing a safety out of Trubisky. But the Bears were able to wriggle their way out of that one and get off a decent punt. After that, the Redskins had a play uh, near the red zone where Case Keenum was sacked and fumbled, but... He got a do-over because of a ticky-tack penalty, so that really would have been a sixth uh, turnover by Keenum that he luckily had wiped away. Then there was that awesome play by the Bears linebacker Danny Trevathan, where he stutter-stepped and completely faked out Brandon Sheriff, made it look like his rush was over, and then Sheriff moved on to somebody else, and then Trevathan just blew by him to get to Keenum. That was a really unique and just super impressive rush, and I don't see how you can't count that as another knock on Sheriff, who's just not having a stellar season. Then the usually reliable Dustin Hopkins missed a field goal. Uh, the Bears' Taylor Gabriel started going off on his touchdown binge. He scored three of them in the second quarter. The Redskins allowed a strip sack to Khalil Mack. They just had no answer for him throughout the game. wonder if Trent Williams might have helped a little bit in that regard. Good old Josh Norman committed a pass interference in the end zone and then shortly after that, got completely smoked on 3rd and 17 by Taylor Gabriel for a 
posterization of a touchdown. Norman did post an interception in the second half, but he has been a very expensive, well below league average corner this year. In the third and fourth quarter, as the Redskins tried to mount a little half-hearted comeback, their quick passing game on offense did start to click a little bit with some decent throws to Chris Thompson and Paul Richardson and, of course, Terry McLaurin. But even then, it didn't seem like Jay was willing to stick with it enough. After that, a few other notable plays included one where Tariq Cohen caught the ball out in space, had um, Landon Collins had him in his sights, Cohen completely humiliated him, ran by him, then um, Collins tracked him down and got an unnecessary roughness penalty in tackling him. Landon Collins, as much as I like him, has had three straight games of not mattering. Then, of course, on a late and very critical fourth and short, Case Keenum went up and over the top as if it was the goal line, but he wasn't on the goal line, and he surrendered a very easy fumble, because I guess he just had not gotten his fill of giving the ball away. Ultimately, the Redskins lost by only two touchdowns with two extra points, and Jay will probably this week try to make it seem like there is something to be taken away from that success in the second half. But I beg of you not to be fooled by that little half comeback, all of which occurred long after the Bears had essentially gone into a prevent defense because their lead was insurmountable. Coming into this game, Mitch Trubisky was not able to do anything in his two previous games. I think he had not thrown a touchdown pass, and there was much anxiety about him in Chicago. Tonight, the Redskins defense allowed him to go 25 of 31 with three touchdowns and a passer rating of 116. He threw short, he threw middle, he threw deep. He threw some passes clearly off the mark and even threw a terrible interception to to Josh Norman on a very bad fade. It was actually clear tonight that he's just not very good. But the Redskins made him look good, at least on the stat sheet and the scoreboard. The Redskins have allowed all three opponents this year to go on runs of at least 20 unanswered points. That's not just a bad defense. It is a horrible defense. You don't need me to tell you that. There's no hope of success with a defense like this. And you might say, as I've already said on this very podcast, that the defensive talent is average at best and locally overrated. But even from my most critical perspective, it seems that they have enough good players and enough healthy players to be doing far better or far less bad than they currently are. On the first touchdown pass to Taylor Gabriel, a short one from inside the five, no one in the Redskins secondary appeared to know what they were doing right before the snap. They're all waving their hands and bobbing their heads and yelling at each other. We keep hearing the same old thing about miscommunication and, you know, we'll get it fixed. We'll clean that up. They haven't been able to clean that up in all these years under Greg Minuski's direction. Again, I'm not saying that there's a perfect, obvious option or alternative to just step in after you fire him. Nor am I saying that firing him is going to fix the season. It's clearly not. In fact, it has no chance of doing that. But to let Greg Minuski continue to run this defense is just absurd. It's a pathetic, totally unacceptable defense. Game in and game out. They're not going to beat anybody if they keep him on. So yeah, this does kind of feel like an instance where change for its own sake might be the right call. I mean, it is. It just is. You got to try something else or it seems like you're not trying and don't care. I think they'll turn it over to Tom Sula because they just have to do something. Terry McLaurin is just a sensational player. There's no way the Redskins or any other team saw this coming from him coming out of college. I mean, he was a nice player at Ohio State. He had a nice connection with Haskins, obviously. He had a really high yards per catch number and he scored a few touchdowns. But this kid can freaking do it all. Holy cow. You can't even think about putting him on special teams. At any point this season, he's most of the offense. In fact, he's like half the scoring. He's got speed. He's got crazy routes. He's constantly open. But even more impressive than that, incredible hands so far. 
tough catches in traffic, juggling the thing, coming down with it, suspended sideways like some kind of matrix action in the end zone tonight. We already know that he's just an A-plus in terms of intangibles. To the extent that there's any hope for the future of this franchise anyway, you got to really invest so much in him this year and develop him. Pray he stays healthy. Give him tons of balls. Let him grow. He's already becoming a legit number one receiver. That was just an inexplicably good draft pick by the Redskins. And it's like doubly impressive that he's just completely flourishing right now, despite everything around him going wrong. What a stud. Jordan Reed was really fun to watch and to root for in his prime, which feels like a long time ago. He was never even an average blocker, but for a season or two, he was one of the top two or three best pass-catching tight ends in the NFL. And when he was really in the zone, he was unstoppable and he could take over a game. That only happened a couple of times, but there was the one Thanksgiving game against Dallas that we'll never forget. And he was special in glimpses. That said, I hope he doesn't play football anymore. And for context, I'm not really one of the people who's kind of singing the tune of like somebody needs to save him from himself. I mean, perhaps that's what needs to happen, but I believe in his independence as an adult decision maker, and I totally think he should be allowed to do whatever he wants. If he deeply loves football, and if he believes that the competition is worth it, and the slim chance of team success eventually is worth it, and that this short window of opportunity for high earning in the NFL is worth it for his future and his family's, then so be it. It's his life, and at this point, nobody's getting surprised anymore by the long-term neurologic effects. But as a fan, I just hope he hangs him up. I feel like that would be the right decision for him. He will have missed at least a month from this last concussion, maybe quite a bit longer. They happen so easily for him now. I mean, I know he took a really big hit this time, but why would we expect him to go even, you know, more than a few games without sustaining another one, you know, if and when he comes back? They're coming too close together and the symptoms are lasting too long. How long will the next one last? From a purely football standpoint, as good as he is, it seems like a bad gamble going forward to commit a roster spot to him or to anticipate him being more than like a bit player in any plan for a season. If he comes back, I'm going to be so nervous every time he gets tackled that it's going to result in an on-field emergency. I'm grateful to have had him as a Redskin, but I hope we can remember him as a good football player and not as a cautionary tale. I'm pretty ready to see Dwayne Haskins in week four. That's not because I think he can save the season. The season's over. But at this point, there's really nothing left to protect, and I just don't see much left to lose. The offensive line hasn't been great, but it hasn't been so bad that it's just reckless or negligent to throw Haskins out there behind it. Plus, he's a big, sturdy dude who can take a hit. I think the Redskins could easily lose at the Giants next week, but it's a pretty good opportunity to slide Haskins in there without the pressure of being at home against a defense that's not very scary. It's just time to start, number one, getting him some experience since he's going to be your starter next year, and number two, figuring out what and who he is as a player in the unpleasant event that he's just not good enough. Because the Redskins are going to have a very high draft pick in a draft rich in quarterbacks. I am not burying Haskins. I think he looks pretty good in what we've seen of him so far. It would be really nice not to have to draft another quarterback next year. And that's kind of a stretch, that whole scenario anyway. But get him on the field, get him acclimated to how NFL defenses operate, help him figure out what he's going to need to work on this offseason so that next year he can start fresh. I just watched the postgame presser and Jay pretty strongly dismissed the notion of making a change at quarterback. I don't think he's going to do this. I don't think he's going to follow my advice. But what are you doing with Case Keenum right now? Why are you going to trot him out there again in week four when you're 0-3, coming off five turnovers? There's nothing left to protect. 
When you get to 0-3, the present is already about the future.